Oh dear. Welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, where we discuss all things app development. I'm your host, Rob Jay, and in this episode, I speak with senior developer John Michael Velasquez. We talk about how to become a better developer, why he chose employment over freelancing, how he teaches kids to code, his efforts in mentoring other developers, and much, much more. Now on to the show. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we jump into today's episode. So I just wanted to shout out Amir Z and Dan Ray for writing the show review over on Apple Podcasts and leaving it a five-star review. I really, really appreciate it. And if you're listening to this and you haven't yet left a review, then please go to your podcast app of choice, leave a review, leave a five-star rating. I would really, really appreciate it. And if you want to support the show even further than that, then you can, of course, buy me a coffee over at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash buy me a coffee. If you hadn't realized already, caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. And with that being said, now here's my conversation with John Michael. I guess for people that are listening, and for me as well, because I I know a little bit, I had a look on your LinkedIn and stuff, but just like a brief overview, just a little bit about um, kind of your background and and then we'll get into the, the teaching and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Okay. So I didn't actually have an interest in computing at all when I was, uh, when I was growing up. Um, I actually wanted to be an art, creative art director um, because I was really, really creative and I was really enjoying art at the time. But UCAS had fun with my career choice. So okay. <laughs> I got into Queen Mary on an unconditional if I took computer science. I'm not sure how that worked because I didn't apply for it. But um, yeah, so it worked out well. Um, I did computer science at Queen Mary where I actually found a talent for something that I actually liked. So it was great. And then I became interested in coding and I started off with Java and PHP. After I graduated, I've moved into a fashion company in which uh, I've learned the basics of a full stack developer with PHP and JavaScript. Uh, that was the first one I was introduced with JavaScript. So it was really interesting. Uh, the most interesting thing about that job is I actually um, got the job from meeting someone at a pub. So it was great. We, we had a good conversation and he was actually hiring. He actually hired me six months, well, four weeks after and hired me as a full-time after an intern. Um, yeah, so it was amazing. So since then, I went into fashion, which I built, like, websites for Moncler, Armani, and all those uh, luxury brands, which was surprising because the junior was actually building those websites, which is pretty cool, uh, obviously, with oversight. <laughs> then I jumped onto um, a few other companies. Um, which dealt with like full stack. So I've been full stack the whole way, uh, mainly with PHP and uh, uh, JavaScript, <clears throat> front end and back end. Went to a few other companies in between uh, until I landed a, when I first started my career as a contractor in which I used to develop prototypes for future tech. Uh, one of which was featured in Wide Magazine in uh, the Italy edition, which was really, really cool. It's about big data and racing cars, which never has been done before, um, well, not to this degree. Um, then I went into back to full-time because that was really stressful. Um, <laughs> contracting is so stressful. I went back to full-time uh, to different property uh, industries. So I, I bounced around and now landed a job where I currently am, which is Brilliant Basics. Uh, now known uh, as Wong Duty, which is a part of emphasis. Yeah, as a full time 
developer focusing more on React and front-end technologies rather than just PHP um, on the back-end, which is going pretty well. Yeah, really enjoying that, that part of my career, just bouncing between different jobs, gaining that experience, and most importantly, getting the relationships from other developers within those industries. All right, that makes sense. All right, so so I have a couple of questions on what you just said b- before we move on. So you've done a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. Super interesting. I, I want to, people that listen to this probably know I'm going to go because, so my thing is contracting, right? So I'm super interested in why you found it stressful because I feel like that would be interesting to other people because I've only ever, so I've been doing um, Android for like 10, 11, something like that years, right? And I've only ever done contracting. And I could never see myself going full time. And obviously you have the totally opposite point of view. So I'm super interested in why that is. Okay. So the total opposite point of view came from when I first started, I was engaged. So we were buying house and just moving on, on that part part of life. But the problem is once you're contracting, the underwriters preferably want to see a four years contract or uh yeah, four years contract or have a contract in principle, which allows it for like a, a year in advance, which was super, super stressful. So I kept on bouncing around and also tax as a limited company with insurance. And um, I'm not sure if you know WPP, but they, that's who hired me. And that's, um, you have, there's so many restrictions and hoops that you need to jump through, uh, especially around the insurance and limited, limited insurance. But mainly what caused me to dislike contracting is one day I was in London, uh, two weeks after I was in Abu Dhabi and then uh, wherever they send me. So Italy, just randomly, and I was engaged. So <laughs> it wasn't a, yeah, I'm, I'm going now. It's, I have to leave you for two weeks, I think. Yeah, so that was really stressful. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So it's more like a life, in, in the end, it was like yeah. a lifestyle choice, right? Exactly. It's got nothing to do with coding. The, the code was actually really interesting. And that was, I still talk about today, as, as you just heard, like, I love the work associated to contracting. Um, so yeah, it's got nothing to do with coding at all. It was just the, the lifestyle around that. And especially personality, it's not in my personality to chase and hound for money. Um, but when you're contracting, that, that usually happens, right? And yeah, it's just a personality conflict for me. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I literally, as we're recording this, so we, we um, like me and a bunch of other developers, we're all contractors working for a certain company and we we sent our December invoices, you know, 1st of January. And then up until yesterday, we're all just messing each other. Have you been paid yet? Have you been paid yet? Has anybody <laughs> yeah. been paid? Um, and, and it worked out, like I knew I was going to, I wasn't worried that I wasn't going to get paid. I imagine it was just, you know, it was not their priority. Obviously it's yeah. different for us. It's our priority. So it was fine. But um. Yeah, that's just how it goes. But then I also wanted to ask, because you said at the start, like before we started recording, that you're kind of managing a project right now. So kind of how did you find that transition from, you know, you code to like managing a project and how much of your time right now is, you know, hands-on coding versus, you know, meetings and all the things that go into managing a project that's not code? Okay, good question. So um, there was two projects that I've managed as part of this uh, company. One of them was, let's say, client A and then client, sorry, three, client A, client B, and client C. The first client, it was, it was full on managing the different teams. So there's 11 scrum teams, uh, two to four members in each team. Yeah, so it was, it was huge. And only some of them were onshore and most of them were offshore. So how I did that was full-time coding. So you're thinking, how can I manage it? Well, it was in my spare time. 
yeah, I enjoyed managing so much and mentoring that I spent all the, uh, the nine to five on meetings and managing different teams if they need to, and then making my time up after work for my own sprint because I was also a sprint leader uh, in my team. So it was eight hours of coding and six to five hours of managing. Um, most of it went offshore, and that was client A. Client B was 90% managing and 10% hands-on because the offshore team didn't really understand the ideas I was trying to articulate, and they couldn't translate it to code. So that's why I step in and say, no, you've actually done this wrong. Uh, I'm going to flag these up in the code reviews, and this is how I would like you to do it. So I actually step in and manage the actual developers. Uh, now it's more of a 60% coding and 40% managing um, for client C. So it, it varies. And honestly, it, it doesn't matter if I've got no management level uh, tasks. I would usually reach out anyway because that's, that's what I enjoy. Okay, at least you get to do some coding because, yeah, whenever I've been lead, I managed to get, I mean, I mean, I mostly decline all the meetings, so I get like 90% coding and 10%, <laughs> you know, meetings because usually they're, usually they're meetings I don't need to be in, so it's fine. Yeah. But when it when it starts creeping up to like more than 50%, you know, not coding, then I'm out. That's not my thing. Exactly. Damn. I always make sure I'm definitely coding because if I, if I lose touch of that, I've basically lost my asset, right? My asset yeah, isn't yeah, managing yeah, the team. True. It's actually being able to contribute to the team. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, and then you said, you know, you liked it so much. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you about was mentoring. Yeah. So we can kind of go there a little bit. So you said you liked it so much and you like mentoring people. Um, and I'm kind of interested in, like, what do you mean when you are talking about mentoring? Mm -hmm. And then I'm also super interested in, and, and I tell you what, if you answer that, we'll, we'll move on to the next bit afterwards. But in terms of mentoring, because that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, especially All depending right. on like, what level of developer you're speaking to right so, yeah. so what does mentoring involve for you okay so mentoring for me involves answering questions giving guidance to anything coding related or anything to do with our career um so that's because i had a mentor well i had a few mentors in the past one of them i still talk to and that was from my first ever job right he's been absolutely amazing he's been mentoring us as a group and we still talk to each other every day right and i'm still meeting i'm going to meet him in a few days time so we we've kept in contact and we're really really close and he's done that for me for free since the start of my career and he's been giving me life advice and career advice and even like my own personal stack overflow like he's absolutely amazing so that's where i got the idea of i enjoy that so much that i want to give back so why i'd like about mentoring or what mentoring is to me is giving back in the sense of I want to be able to do this for other devs so they'll do it to the next generation or the next group of people that they would like to mentor. And that includes career advice, interview advice, coding advice, very rarely life advice. Well, work balance, more like, um, yeah, so it's all about that. And it's not necessarily down to a project is about anything. Yeah, it's really, really great. Quick interruption. If you're a fan of the show, I'd love it if you could leave it a positive rating review in your podcast app of choice. Contrary to what you might have heard, it doesn't actually help the show be discovered, but it does provide the social proof that it's a show worth listening to. So if you have 30 seconds to spare, I'd really, really appreciate it. And now back to the show. So then in, in that term, in that sense, like what some of the, the best advice that you've been given? On, on whatever, like whatever comes to mind, it doesn't have to be coding related. Okay, the best advice that I've been given is don't stay in a company if you're not learning. Loads of people stay in a company because it's, to them, it, 
it seems like an older generation inheritance of the longer you stay in the company, the higher you'll climb up the ladder. I don't think that's true. If you're not learning in that company, well, you're wasting time as a developer. So I always advise the mentees that if you're not happy in a job, then you should just leave. You shouldn't worry about uh, what it looks like on your CV because you can be totally honest, and I've been totally honest. My CV actually looks like I've been contracting, but I, I haven't for a long time. There's only one job that I've been contracting with. Um, so every time I go into an interview and they ask me why have I jumped ship, well, I tell them I'm not really happy with the, the level of uh, commitment that they're giving out as, a, as, as senior developers and mentoring me, so I'm not growing as much as I would like to. I've addressed it with them, and they failed to, and I gave them warning, so I've moved on. So being totally honest and telling them that happiness shouldn't just be about the money or the salary. It should be at the company and how much you grow as an individual rather than as, as a developer. So that is the main message that I try to push out to all of them. Okay. Yeah. I, I really like that. Cause I, I was going to say to your point, it's like, there's this old mentality definitely of, you know, if I stay in this company for 10 years in 10 years time, I get to X position. Right. Mm -hmm. But in terms of de like developers, like one of the few roles that's like an actual like meritocracy, like you get by on your merits. So yeah. if you don't learn anything for the next 10 years, they're not just going to give you lead developer. Like that's exactly. not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, no, that totally, that totally makes sense to me. Okay. All right. I like that. Um, and then one of the other questions I wanted to ask about mentoring before we move on is, yeah. is there something that you find people come to you a lot, like consistently with the same thing through different people? Or is there something that stands out that people really like need help with when they come to you? Or is it just a mix? Um, it's pretty much a mix, but the a common topic, I guess, was only come up like twice or three times is just advice on the code and how to structure it correctly um, because their seniors are not properly guiding them. So in terms of a common theme is giving architectural advice on how to structure things for the project. Yeah, other than that, it's, like I said, about career choices and career directions. And And then on that point... Just because I'm curious now, so we can cut this or not, we'll see. But um, is there is there like a if something like in terms of architecture, right? Is there like a go to for you, or is it very dependent on on the project? Very dependent on the project, hundred okay. percent. It's it's never the same, even if it's different projects but the same issue. The solution is completely different. Okay, so there's a common thing about the the two different asks was. Uh, about style components, sorry, not style components, uh, component library, how to actually build a component library in isolation. It's a common problem for a lot of devs to not fully understand what a component library is. So, that's interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. I just wanted to ask, because I know some people are like, yeah, there's only one right architecture and it's this. And and the answer is obviously that's not the case because then, yeah, it's not, it's not one size fits all. But yeah, I was just curious. I was just curious. All right, cool. Um, all right, so then... I want to get into the the teaching kids. So for for people that are listening, um, obviously the the title of this podcast, I'm sure, give it away. But like, you really enjoy it. From and this is why from one what I've learned. So if or from what I've heard, I should say. So if this is wrong, then correct me. But you obviously enjoy teaching and mentoring. And I've heard that you know you have plans to like you have done or have plans to teach kids. And when I first heard that, that blew my mind. Right, and the reason being is because I got approached, I mean, this has happened a few times, but I got approached maybe three or four years ago by a company that does courses. And they were like, Rob, can you put together an Android course for us? Um, and we'll, you know, we'll give you a 50-50 split or whatever. And that sounds great. 
until I started to try and do it. And, yeah. and then I, and then I hit this roadblock where it's like, I know all of like, I know all the things, right? Let's just say I know all the things. I'm sure there's things I don't, but for the most part, I can go into any role and it's, they can tell me what to do. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I can do it. But I don't know the, I don't know how to teach the basics. Like I could tell somebody something really complicated and I could t- articulate it really well. This is how you do it. This is why you do it. If somebody asks me like, what's an object? I, it's an object. I, I can't explain it to you. So then when I heard that you were trying to teach that concept to kids and I was struggling to teach it to adults, that blew my mind. So like, how did you, how did you start like getting into that and, and how do you do that? Okay. So how did I get into it was my son, Caleb, uh, he would come into my room and I would be pretty much working nine to five, um, Tuesdays and well, Mondays and Tuesday, I would spend a bit extra just for like, uh, mentoring. So he would watch me do that. So he got interested into it. And so I, I wanted to teach him how to do that or what code really means, because I truly believe in a few years time, this is going to be compulsory for no matter what field you're in, right? So I, I definitely think coding is so important. So I'm trying to teach him now. And how I teach him is just through everyday games. So for example, like a, uh, like a switch statement, right? That's the one I'm currently, well, was doing before um, and how to teach him how to do that and efficiency over a switch statement, over an if statement or else if is you're not checking the value per statement, right? You've got, you only check it once and you check the cases done, whichever fulfills the cases and that's done. So luckily my wife has a few laundry baskets with different colors and there's like eight. I know it's very excessive. We should just have one basket, just put it all in there. We've got eight different colors. So his switch statement is, what color is my t-shirt and which basket should it go in? So whenever I, I, I teach them about coding concepts, it's always about uh, mini games. So he understands it. And then I slowly move on and bring in keywords like, what is the function? Can you create a function to make scrambled eggs? And that's when he started to click and really enjoyable. One thing he didn't like is being filmed. So I stopped filming uh, <laughs> videos with him because it just, getting a three-year-old to sit down and uh, play the game without the lights and everything it's just so much easier than having the whole set up and uh, everything in his face yeah no i I could imagine all right that that sounds awesome i like i like the laundry basket idea i that that sounds really good so a couple of things to touch on that right so when you're teaching him this stuff are you teaching him like a language or is it just concepts just concepts because syntax Syntax is more of a uh, an actual written language, right? Uh, but he's still trying to learn the basis of English. So I don't want to overtake the core fundamentals of English, math, and science and replace it with coding because that's not transferable to learn, like, let's say, JavaScript or in school. So I'm just definitely teaching just about the concepts because the concept is what makes a good developer. You can just give a, a task to a senior developer, but if he does it procedural, uh, I wouldn't classify him as a senior developer, but if if he makes like loads of different helpers or utility classes just for that, then yeah, he's expanding on it. And that's the key traits I'm trying to build into Caleb now and how to break code down into reusable chunks. That sounds really good. And, and I was going to say, that's that's a that's a good like I, I forget as well you know at three years old like you're still grasping english so let's not try and teach <laughs> yeah. them actual code but also i was going to say that would make for quite a funny story when he has to write an essay in school <laughs> yeah. and the whole thing is just like brackets and semicolons 
That'd be brilliant. That would probably not get him top marks, but it'll be amazing. No, but in primary school, it's fine. You know, as long as by secondary school, he knows you can't do yeah. this, it's totally fine. It stops becoming cute when he's there for the examining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get right back to the show. But first, I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this episode, if you feel it's bringing you value, then it would mean a lot to me if you shared it with a friend or fellow developer. That's it. Just hit the share button in your podcast app of choice and you know what to do. Now, back to the show. Okay. All right. So so um, I, I just have a couple more questions about that and then we can move on. But one of the things, so one of the things that I mentioned in, in terms of like how you think about it is there's this like this thing called the curse of knowledge, right? Which is you forget the things that you know because like you just know them now. You forget that you had to learn that stuff. So it's like if I was trying to teach someone English, like I don't know how to teach you the alphabet to make that into words. So I don't know that I had to read. Like that's that's gone. So how when you were looking at this and like you you're approaching you know switch statements and stuff, how do you know kind of where to start? Wow, and you know you need to teach these question. concepts before um, you can learn these concepts. Like how did you break that down? Like in your mind to be able to deliver that. Looking at the screen, and he was smashing the keyboard. So he was giving out loads of different syntax errors. So I thought, how can I teach him not to do that because it won't make sense? And then I started breaking down the file into, oh, I've got constants, I've got uh, imports, I've got uh, functions, if statements, switch statements, because he actually broke the switch statement. That's how I knew, oh, I can't even tell him you've broken the switch statement because he doesn't know about it. So I've broken it down into those key bits on just literally the code on my on my screen and then i started making a list like oh what can i teach them about loops can i teach them about uh, classes uh, abstracts concepts yeah so that's basically how i did it I just looked at my code and started picking uh key concepts and then i went into what are the most fundamental areas of code that i reuse every day which is like switch statements if statements functions and then that's how i created the list of how to teach caleb uh in everyday like uh, everyday um yeah, life. Okay. All right. And then, and then before we move on, so like you're, you're teaching your son, right? Yes. Do you have any plans or is there anything you want to do with this to kind of widen the audience, let's say? Absolutely. So my plan is, which I've asked work for permission to do, is am I allowed to spend one or two hours a week volunteering at the school to give them an actual knowledge of how to teach the class properly and like answer concepts? I've actually reached out to six or seven schools. They're all interested. I've spoken to the computing manager or head of computing, and none of the teachers, maybe an odd few, have no idea. They're just saying a script. They have no idea what these concepts are. So when Caleb gets to uh, year one, he's currently in reception, when he gets to year one, I am actually going to spend my own money and buy them the equipment that they need to actually learn. The problem is, Computing isn't part of the key curriculum, so it's just a, a subject that they learn, right? It's not, it's not like English, math, and science. So, yeah, I'm going to get involved in this school, going to donate it. Uh, I'm going to have an allocated budget per year, which I've done for already, uh, and just donate equipment that they're free to keep, by all means, if I have a weigh-in in their curriculum, and that's for them to approve or not. Like, their first class as a five-year-old is can you I, can you understand which, which which images are fake or real? And that syllabus is so out of date because now we've got modern graphics cards which can generate an ultra realistic image. So how do you teach a kid image recognition? You can't, right? 
it's so out of date. So these are the key things that I want to change in their curriculum because it's completely pointless. They're not teaching about fundamentals. They're teaching about old code, which, come on, like, we've got deep fakes now. So you can actually take a video. I was just about to say that, yeah. Yeah, like they they could they could be watching a video of themselves doing something, and they know it's not real. But how can you tell that's not real? You can't exactly. So that that whole syllabus is void. So that's how I want to get involved. I want to be able to donate at an expense of they can be more flexible with their curriculums, and I can give them pointers and give them class examples how to run each uh, period. Um, so that's my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is to do that for other schools and just mentor the teachers and create an ecosystem for teachers and parents to also bring that home because I definitely think it's the future. Yeah, no, definitely. I was literally listening to a podcast today where they said the same thing as you and they said if they they were talking about like 20 years, but they were like in 20 years, code like if you don't know coding you will be deemed illiterate in the same way that if you don't know how to read and write today, they would say you're illiterate. Exactly. Yeah, and and I think I think there's definitely um, a case for that because co- like co- like co- like most of the jobs, not most of the jobs, but so many jobs now involve involve coding, and it's not like when we were learning, and it's like there's not that many jobs, or they're all new tech. Like they're not new technologies anymore. Exactly. Like these, these are the things. So it's like if you can't do, like if you're not going to, like this, yeah, there's so many industries where you would need to do it and where it would be beneficial to do it. And to your point earlier, it's like there will be companies where just by knowing a bit of code, you climb up the ladder because it's not a coding job, but you know more than the next person. Exactly. That's exactly where I got this idea from. And it's just to, elab- uh, just to add on to what you said, so let's take an example for an admin role. Right, admin role, you manage stuff on Excel, but if you know how to work Excel and write your own script for Excel, your macros, you're instantly doing two people's job at an instant, right? Without any resources. So that's so much more powerful. And it's, yeah, and most people won't even consider that as a programming uh, tool or coding, but it kind of is. So you need to understand. No, it totally is. And also, most people don't know that. Because I was going to say, like, right now, one of the great things if people knew coding, even if they just knew the basics, is that when you turn up to a company and they have, you know, they're using, like, Windows XP and they have, like, the worst software ever, yeah. like, mo- most people would look at that now and they just, like, oh, this software is crap. But they don't realize, like, mate, somebody who learned coding in 1998 wrote that for you and they're still maintaining it and they're getting paid to maintain it. Yeah. You guys have no idea how bad it is. You just know it doesn't work very well. Exactly. But like, like me and you would try and we wish wouldn't use it. We'd be like, no, the answer is no, we're not paying for this. For right around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, li- I've literally thought about that. Like I've looked at some of the stuff that my partner does and they use like all these old, you know, it looks like it was written in VB kind of stuff. And it's like, mate, you could, you could, all the money you're paying this company, give it to me exactly. I'll, and I'll write you a better piece of software in like six months and it will work, you know, forever. And we're exactly. Good. Like, yeah, it's, pa- it's painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, crazy. You said that you you um try to help people become actively good at coding, and I wanted to find out from you for like to start with, how do you define good, um, and then like how do you help people do that? Okay, so I define good as having habits in the workplace, right? So for me, you can be good. A junior can be good, and a senior can be bad, right? 
it's not I'm not really talking about skill set. I'm talking about their habits in particular. So what I consider bad is nine to five clock out done. But why it's considered good is being actively looking into the coding world because it's expanding crazy fast. So to keep up, no one can keep up with front and back end, right? Especially with all the languages out there. So for me, a good developer is someone who's keeping up and who's actively passionate about the role. You can be the best developer in the world, but not contribute to the community. And I'll classify you as bad because it's, it's a joint effort from everyone, right? We're going to have open source pretty much everywhere. You move companies and you've moved teams. You've, yeah, I, I definitely think instilling habits into developers is the best thing you can do. And that's how I do it um, through my mentoring scheme as well, which is, are you learning? Yes or no. Uh, what are you doing to increase your skill set outside of working hours? And that's important because that, that just filters out people who are serious about learning how to code and people who are just doing it as just to get paid. Yeah, it's a job. Yeah, there's yeah. no passion. Yeah, yeah. And then final question that I like to ask everybody, um, which is what do you think separates an okay developer from a great developer? Um, what, okay, so a good developer, a great developer will take criticism and is open to criticism on a daily basis, right? When I put out a code review, I tell everyone, please don't hold back, just go as brutal as you want because that's how I grow and that's how you grow, to spot them out. Um, in, so it's more like a, I forgot who did it, I think it was Harvard, right? So to, to, to practice for debates, they would usually argue for themselves and after five or 10 minutes or a time limit, they would swap sides and argue against the other team. And to me, that's a great exercise because the junior developers can go to my code in which they have and spotted some mistakes. And I'm like, wow, that's embarrassing. I need to fix that. But it's the fact that they're actively looking for things that they already know about. So that gives me a gauge of, okay, so they know about uh, this problem, but they didn't catch this problem, which a senior developer did. Now I can just build on that set with a junior developers so that's how i see it as a, a great developer and also uh like i just said habits are are they actively trying to bring up the community or they're just just coming in nine to five and that means are they bringing so if there's a problem at work and none of us have the skill set is anyone actively trying to learn that in their own spare time which i am uh we have an animation problem and i've been taking courses on the side just to help on on that issue and that's that's to my own expense but that's a, a good thing because i don't want to kill my habit of i'm not going to learn outside of work it's i'm going to continuously learn because this is a skill set i can bring into another job yeah and that's to me is what separates the good and the great yeah okay that's an awesome answer yeah because yeah if you're just doing it for a job then you can't call yourself a great developer in the first place i don't think yeah you're just you're just an entity. Also, you become like you become obsolete at some point. It's like yeah, well, you know stale. stuff that we were doing in three years' time that's not useful anymore, and you're too like you're not too far behind to catch up. But we're not going to pay you to catch up. You know, go somewhere else, catch up, and then come back. Exactly, and that's a problem with companies, right? Because if the developer isn't actively keeping up with the time, um, well, then the, they 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 can't you can't fire a developer because they've been there for too long, right? 
and you can't it just gets very complicated so I, I encourage that with the team be active outside of work because if you get left behind we're gonna let you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're gonna know man you're gonna know brilliant brilliant okay cool all right um and then final final question is um where can people find out uh, more about you where can they find out uh, like you know twitter or instagram social media any of that kind of stuff okay so i actually mentor inside of work and outside of work um they can find me at iteachco.com and that's a bit stale right now but i'm actively on my channel uh, i've got 12 to 15 developers i mentor across the world at ridiculous times in the morning or night yeah so i i'm open to mentoring there is no catches it's all completely free and that's because someone did it to me so i'm giving back uh once a developer is stale on the channel uh, i ask him if he's still actively uh, uh, trying to become the developer or trying to uh power down or if they don't want to be in the mentor mentoring scheme so i can make space for new ones uh i am current currently replacing the 15 people well some of them not all of them sorry some of them are still learning uh to just bring new life into the scheme and it's it's fantastic because there's a developer that went there who had zero coding skills uh fresh jobs took a nine uh took a course uh over nine months uh been mentoring him since and right now for a developer with less than 10 10 months experience in a job i can honestly say he's a solid mid and i'm waiting to hire him in the company i'm, I'm at i'm not even joking he's a solid mid so i built the the good habits from the ground up because i've learned and i picked up so many bad habits learning from myself especially stack overflow and all the dodgy answers so if you have any questions and you don't want to go through all of that or you're not sure well i'm more than happy to help out just pop me a question and i'll answer it even video call and that's it for this episode thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend or fellow developer and if you really want to support the show you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash donate and if you don't want to miss future episodes of the show make sure you follow or subscribe in your podcast app of choice Thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.